morning. I'm Cheryl. And our scripture today is Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Well done. So you've just heard our passage for this morning. If you're still turning there, make sure you get there. Luke chapter 7, first few verses of this chapter as... We start a new sermon teaching series that we're calling, you can see it on the screen, Faith Like This. So we've been diving through the Gospel of Luke since the fall of 2022. And now we're finally to chapter 7. So at this pace, I believe that we will finish the Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters, in probably spring 2039. So buckle up. We're in this book for a little bit. But Luke chapter 7 is so good. And we've titled this Faith Like This because in 7 and as we go into chapter 8, you see these examples of people that had really radical faith. But the emphasis isn't necessarily on the person and their faith, but it's on the object of their faith. Each of these people that we'll get to know in Gospel of Luke 7 and 8 They're people who the object of their faith was in a person. And that person is the name Jesus. The name that's above every name. The name that one day every tongue will confess. From Deion Sanders to Taylor Swift. Every name will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And so this is the God that we get to study. We get to do that through these interesting stories of Luke 7 and 8. Faith like this. Before we get into this story of the Roman centurion, the the Roman officer, I do want to highlight that as we look at his faith, we also can celebrate the faith of even people in our own community. I, in this moment, In this season of Calvary Church, and I've been here for 23 years, I have never been more excited to be part of this community than right now. God is doing some amazing things. God is using the generations 
to impact not only one another through discipleship, but also to go out. And we're just beginning, I think, to sense it and feel it here. And so I just even wanted to celebrate as we look to the centurion. I wanted to celebrate even some of the faith journey and stories of, of people that I see right around us. This is Al Lakata. Al turned 100 years old uh, on September 2nd. Al's one of my heroes. He was married to his wife, Millie, for 68 years before she passed away uh, in 2019. Al has been a member of Calvary Church for 44 years. In my interactions with Al, I could see a man who had a genuine and authentic faith in Jesus Christ. He had seen a lot since, I mean, imagine 1923 to 2023. You've seen a little bit in your life. And Al remains steadfast, even the last couple years as a widow. He remains steadfast in his walk with Jesus Christ. It's such an example to me and to us. I was actually going to have Al stand up if he was able to today. But at 6.45 this morning, I got a text uh, from his son, Paul, and his daughter-in-law, Sandy, that Al can't be here today because he has a higher calling. <laughs> Al went to be with Jesus this morning. <laughs> it's incredible. I planned this and talked about it uh, last week, about celebrating him turning 100, celebrating his faith. Today, he's getting to see the, the actual culmination of his faith, face to face with Jesus Christ. So Al's not physically with us anymore, but we have owls in our church. We have men and women who have faithfully walked with Jesus for year after year, ups and downs in their lives, sickness and health. What a treasure, what a resource that we have here in this place. One of the reasons I'm so excited to be part of this community in this season. And then we jump down to the generations and we have a guy like Abram de la Viega. Abram turns 34, I believe it is, this Tuesday. I love Abram's story. He's a public school teacher here in the Santa Ana Unified School District. Shout out to all you teachers. You're like, you're five weeks in right now. I know you want to quit. Don't give up. <laughs> but Abram, don't feel so sorry for him. He's a PE teacher. So, okay, that's... <laughs> He's good. Nadine Larsh, I just looked at you over there. Sorry. Um, so Abram teaches in the school district. He met his wife, Abby, here at Calvary Church. In fact, the very first meaningful conversation that Abram and Abby ever had was at our Christmas tree lighting a few years ago. And so if you're single and wanting to mingle, <laughs> Christmas tree lighting 2023, show up. <laughs> so Abram and Abby get married. And they've been walking with Jesus over these last few years. It's been so fun to watch. They both went uh, with the Shooks to Lesphos, Greece this past summer. And got to just demonstrate the love and the goodness, the grace, the faithfulness of Jesus to immigrants uh, in that region. 
Abram also invited one of his co-workers in the school district to show up to our Alpha course over the last couple weeks. And so it's so fun. We have Al and the generation uh, of that age. We have Abram in his 30s going for it with Jesus Christ. And then we have Josiah. Josiah just turned eight years old. She was baptized this last Sunday at the beach with a bunch of people here at Calvary Church. Josiah is a Taekwondo expert. In fact, don't mess with her. She literally will throw you down. I'm serious. I've tried and I almost died. So Josiah is the future of Calvary Church. I'm so excited for her and her generation as they watch the faithfulness of the Lakatas and the De La Vegas, and then they take leadership of this church. This is the community that we get to be a part of, amen? This is the community of faith. As we watch generations show up, and even in our faithlessness, God is faithful. And that's all of our stories. And that's the story of the Roman officer here in Luke chapter 7, first 10 verses. I've titled this sermon, Just Say the Word. It's actually quoted from this Roman officer. He approaches Jesus and he says, just say the word. And the scriptures are recorded here in Luke chapter 7 of Jesus being what? He's, he's amazed at this man's faith. The Greek word can also be translated to mean marveled. So if you're a Marvel comic book fan, maybe it can connect with you a little bit. It's marveled. It's amazed. Jesus is looking at this guy and he's almost stunned. It's kind of amazing to think that Jesus was amazed by someone that was one of his creatures in, in creation. Luke, it's one of his favorite terms, is to use the word amazed. He uses it throughout the 24 chapters of Luke. You see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 33. This one, though, is talking about Joseph and Mary. It's saying that Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. The context of this is the eighth day, child dedication. One of the reasons we do child dedication here today is because Jesus was dedicated in the temple, Simeon prophesied over Jesus. And it says here in Luke 2.33 that Jesus' parents were amazed. They marveled at what was being said about their baby. And then you go a few verses later in Luke chapter 2, verse 47. It said, all who heard him were amazed at the things that he was saying, his understanding and his answers. And the context of this is Jesus back in the temple courts as about a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, and he's speaking with authority. And the religious leaders, those in the temple, are amazed at who is this boy? And then we see in Luke chapter 8, we'll get there in a few weeks, is that the disciples were amazed at Jesus when he calms the storm. The waves on the Sea of Galilee respond to the authority of Jesus. And the disciples are amazed by that. But in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we only see Jesus himself being amazed two times. 
One in a negative way and then one here in Luke 7 in a positive way. The negative comes in Mark chapter 6, one of the places you can find it. Verses 5 through 6. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. And he's preaching with authority. And the people don't like what he's saying. And they end up trying to kill him, to drive him off of a cliff. And Jesus responds with amazement at their lack of faith. He's amazed that here he is, the Messiah, God incarnate, in their presence, in their midst. The Lamb of God, no sin. And the people don't get it. And Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. And then we come back here to Luke chapter 7, verse 9. Jesus is again amazed, but this time it's in a positive way. He's amazed at the faith of this Roman officer. And so let's dig back into the passage here. What's so amazing about this officer's faith? What is it about this guy that Jesus stands back and is almost surprised about? What's going on in this guy's world? Well, you see here in verse 1 of chapter 7 that Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Plain and he returns to Capernaum, a favorite place of his, maybe his home um, office, if you will, in his three years of ministry. He returns to this small fishing village of Capernaum. And in verse 2, at that time, then we read about this officer. may say centurion in your version of the Scriptures. And this officer has a slave or a servant that is sick and to the point of death. In another gospel, it describes the similar story. And it says that the servant is paralyzed. And so you see here that this servant's in bad shape to the point of death. And this Roman officer is concerned about him. Now, what we know about centurions, at least what I've read, none of us have ever met one necessarily, but what we've read in the history books is that Roman centurions would have about 100 men that would be under their authority. That's why it's centurion 100. Although in the time of Jesus, I read that that number could fluctuate. It could be anywhere from 20 men to 100 men, somewhere in between. But the point was the centurion had authority. He had people that considered him the boss, and would respond to his words. You became a centurion in the first century in a couple different ways. One was through just acts of valor. You were a brave soldier who did something on the battlefield that was noteworthy, and you were elevated to now be a commander of men. Another way that you'd become a centurion is if you were just wealthy, and you would basically pay for the position. Totally different than what we do here in America. But <laughs> a third way is you would just work your way up the ranks. That you would just be a faithful soldier who was faithful and obedient to the tasks that you were given. And over time, you would just receive, receive promotion after promotion. This job was pretty lucrative. The average Roman centurion would make about 4,000 denarii a year, which calculates to a little bit over like 10 denarii a day. 
Now, that doesn't mean anything to us unless you understand that the average fisherman, the average person around the Sea of Galilee made one denarii a day. So this was 10x of what the average person would make in a day or a year. So the centurion had authority that he had these people underneath him, these military, military brass that was under his command, and he was probably one of the more wealthy people in the area. This is what maybe in our modern view of looking back at what a Roman centurion might look like. Very pompous, right? Like when a Roman centurion would walk through uh, the city streets, everyone would know that he was there. Was a man of respect. A man, if you were a Jew, not to be necessarily messed with. We read also in history that there was a lot of tension between those that were occupied and the occupiers. Like there is in every historical account where there's someone that's taken over land. The Romans weren't necessarily loved around the Sea of Galilee or in the nation of Israel. They were the occupiers. And there was tension over taxes. We've talked a lot about that. Tax collector Matthew, we've been a prime example of a Jew that was basically going against his own people and overtaxing the people. And so the Romans were pilfering the Jewish nation and the Jews hated them for it. Almost hated them as much as they hated the Samaritans, the half-Jewish, half-Gentiles. So this tension exists between Romans and the Israelites, the Jewish people. But look what the text says again here in chapter 7. It says that the officer had a servant, a slave, who was sick near death. Now, the scripture here doesn't make a moral comment on slavery. It's, it's not saying uh, this, this is good. It's just noting the fact of what was happening. And this officer had a slave who was sick near death. The officer heard about Jesus. Side note, no one, no matter their position or prestige, is too far distant from hearing about Jesus Christ. This Roman officer heard about Jesus and he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to heal his slave. So this Roman has a relationship with some of the Jewish leaders and he sends them to be an intermediate kind of voice to Jesus. And we'll learn about why in just a moment. But then look what the elders say in 7.4. It says they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does. I like this guy. <laughs> there's, there's something about this Roman officer that's just different, that's set apart. The Jewish elders who normally would have such tension with the Romans that were overseeing them, they're earnestly begging on behalf of this man and on behalf of his servants. And then you see in verse 5, why? It says that this man loves our people. This Roman officer loves the Jewish people. And one of the ways that he showed that was that he built our synagogue here in Capernaum. I mean, whoa. This would not be something you would ever expect. A Gentile Roman 
officer caring for the people around him and not only caring for them, but in generosity, building them a temple. We don't know in the text whether this was his own money or this was government money that he had set aside or what. But what we do know is that this officer went above and beyond to build the temple. Here's an aerial view of Capernaum today. And you can kind of see how close that this main area is to the Sea of Galilee. I mean, literally, it's in the backyard. This Sea of Galilee, this location where you can see the water is in this photo. So much happened here. This is where we think Peter and his brother cast their nets and caught all the fish. And then Jesus called them to follow him to now make fishers of men. Happened right here in this spot. You can see kind of the dome, if you can see that on the screen there. That's a modern church that's built over where some people think Peter, the disciple, actually lived. And then you can see a little bit uh, on the edge of the photo there, a white building. That white building is nicknamed the White Synagogue. And this was uncovered years ago. It was under dirt for hundreds of years, which is crazy. Like when you go to Israel, there's just dirt mounds everywhere. And you ask, like, what's under that dirt? They're like, I don't know, something from the Bible. <laughs> like, that's, that's amazing. Crazy. So they uncovered this spot and they dated the synagogue, you can see in this photo, to about the 3rd or 4th century. So it wasn't quite the time of Jesus when this synagogue, the white synagogue, was built. But if you can look in this photo at kind of the grayish stones at, at the bottom of the photo, that foundation... There's some that think this was stones, this was the foundation of the original synagogue that the Roman centurion in Luke 7 built. Crazy! This means Jesus was in this synagogue. Jesus taught from the synagogue. In fact, John 6, I'm the bread of life. Probably that teaching came from this synagogue in Capernaum. So the Roman centurion used by God to build this church for God's people to gather and then a place where Jesus utters the words, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you'll be satisfied. Wow. God uses anyone at any time. And so these Jewish elders are begging Jesus, please, this guy's a good man. He's built our church. He's built our synagogue. Please re respond to him. And then Jesus, as we've read, is amazed at his faith. Well, what made this guy's faith so amazing other than just asking Jesus for help? Building a synagogue. Well, you go back to verse 6 of chapter 7 here. It says, so Jesus went with them, but before they arrived at the house the officer sent some additional friends. So the Jewish elders went to talk to Jesus first. Now the Roman officer sends another contingent. And they say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. They're speaking on behalf of the officer. For I am not worthy of such an honor. We talked about in worship just a few minutes ago about the idea that we are worthy of being loved by God. It's an amazing truth. But it's also a truth with some complexity. Because 
we are sinners before a holy God. And our sin makes us unworthy of being in a relationship with God. And so we can hold both intention. We're created in the image of God. Therefore, we have value. God loves us and knows us, knows the hairs on our heads, has ordained our days just like he did for Alakata. He knows us. He loves us. And yet because of our sin, we're separated from God. This Roman centurion says, I, I wanted you to come to my house. I wanted you to heal my slave. But now that I'm thinking about it, I am not worthy to have you in my home. There's a couple of reasons this could have been his feeling. One is that for a rabbi, a Jewish religious leader, to enter the home of a Gentile would make them unclean in, in this culture. And so maybe the Roman officer is realizing this and he's worried about Jesus becoming ceremoniously unclean. Maybe he just becomes aware, like Peter did earlier on the beach, of like, get away from me, Jesus. I am a man of sin. I don't deserve to have your attention. I don't deserve to have you work in my life. So this Roman centurion is, is humbly acknowledging maybe the obvious, that I am not worthy to have you in my home. But then look what he says next. He says, I know this because, or no, I'm sorry, verse 7, I am not even worthy to have you come meet with me, but just say the word from where you are. Just say the word. This is incredible. The Roman officer in this moment acknowledging his unworthiness as a sinner before a holy God. But then he says, just say the word, Jesus. I understand your authority. He goes on to say, I know authority. I have people that I tell them what to do and they do it. I have authority. But my authority pales in comparison to the authority that I believe that you have. I believe your authority transcends space and time. In some ways, the Roman officer even has a greater understanding of Jesus than Mary and Martha did. Remember Mary and Martha, their, their brother Lazarus dies and they complain when Jesus finally shows up. They say, Jesus, if you'd only been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Here is the Roman officer, though, understanding Jesus' authority is so great, so powerful, so true, that he doesn't even have to be there. Just say the word. Just say the word. And I know that it will work. I know that you will heal. And Jesus, it says here in verse 9, marvels at that. That he's amazed by that. Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. He turns to the crowd and he looks at the crowd that's following him to the man's house. And he says, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. The people probably were stunned by that. Again, there's this whole Jewish-Gentile divide. And here's Jesus commending the faith of a Gentile, a Roman Gentile. The Gospel of Luke, one of the purposes of the Gospel of Luke is to tell the factual evidence of Jesus that he came, he died, and he rose again, and he is the Messiah. But Luke also has the purpose of speaking to the Gentiles, 
those that were not part of the covenant. And the good news for the Gentiles is Jesus has come for you too. Jesus is not exclusive. It's an inclusive invitation, but it's open to anyone. Gentile, Jewish, Californian, Idaho alike. (laughs) Anyone can come to Jesus Christ. Rich, poor, smart, simple. We all have access to Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. So this man says, say the words. And then look at verse 10. Jesus responds with this. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. I have so many questions about this. Now, the centurion was still in the house. Did he just watch his servant who was paralyzed and bedridden and on the brink of death? Did he just get up and start moving around? Was it a surprise when the men came back and told about their interaction with Jesus and then went upstairs and the man's just walking around normal? It doesn't necessarily say here in the text, but it just says he was halfway healed. No, he was completely healed. Just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. Faith like this. Jesus heals. There's been a theme, though, as we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, because there's several accounts of Jesus healing people. And I just want to sit for a moment in the tension of that Jesus heals at times, and then Jesus chooses not to heal at times. We've told this story before, but if you're new or maybe you've forgotten it, this is Jesus Victor, his beautiful wife and his two kids, Ashley and Israel. Israel's actually in the Air Force right now, so pray for him. Uh, Jesus, about a year ago this month, was on our elder retreat. We were playing wiffle ball, like 20 of us, and Jesus had cardiac arrest and fell in front of about 19 of us. One of the most intense, scary moments that I've ever gotten to be a part of. By God's grace, one of those that was there, someone from our church is a cardiologist, and started immediate CPR. We were able to get, um, what's that? I was going to say the AED, right? AED? My thought was ADD machine, (laughs) but it's, it's AED, right? AED. Got that on him in... By God's grace, his heart restarted. He was helicoptered from this location we were at in the mountains of San Diego, taken to ICU in San Diego, and then eventually transferred here to Orange County. And Jesus is alive today, serving in the name of Jesus, a dad, father. It's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's God's grace. God's grace. Say the word. Say the word. There was a bunch of us just praying over him in that moment. God, heal. God, show up. God, do something. And Jesus responded. But then the tension. It's my dear friend Tom Radke with his wife Kathy. I had the privilege to officiate Tom's memorial service just a few weeks ago. Tom passed away of cancer uh, this, earlier this summer. We are praying for Tom to be healed. 
still has many years of productivity and, and ways to point people to Jesus. And he had just written this incredible book, which you can get in our bookstore. <laughs> and God has plans for him. Like, God, heal. And yet God chose to take him to eternity. And there's tension there. God healed Jesus. God called Tom home. But I love what the theologian um, Frederick Beekner once said. He said, resurrection means the worst thing is not the last thing. Oh. Resurrection in Jesus Christ means that the worst things that can happen to us in this world, in this lifetime, does not have the last word. Jesus, just say the word. Jesus, I believe you. You have the authority. Just say the word. Ultimately, we can be healed in this world, in this lifetime, and maybe live 5, 10, 15 more years, but ultimately we all have a date with death in this lifetime. And yet Jesus is healing, whether now or for eternity, is something to be worshipped. I love these three verses, and I'm going to close this in just a moment with this. The ultimate words of Jesus are these. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Isn't that good? It's true. John 14, 6, Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, the life. And it goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 19, verse 30. Beautiful words of Jesus on the cross where Jesus says, it is finished. Sin has been defeated. Death has been taken down. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus has authority. So let me invite you. The Roman centurion, Jesus was amazed by his faith. Maybe today is a day for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ, to let him be the ultimate authority of your life, to say, Jesus, I've tried to do this life on my own. It's not working. Jesus, I know I'm not worthy, but you are worthy. You make me worthy through your life, sinless life, your death on the cross, your resurrection from the dead. Jesus, today I place my faith in you, my Savior, my Lord. If you're ready to do that for the first time, just raise your hand right now. I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. If you're like, today's the day, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand for me. I just want to see you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Anybody else raise your hand? It's awesome. Cool. Let me pray over us. Remind us once again of who Jesus is. Father, I thank you that you have the authority. That God, it's not just a Roman officer in the first century that gets to say that. We get to say that. God, I thank you for those in this room who in this moment are saying, I place my faith in you, Jesus. Be my savior. Forgive me my sins once and for all. Be the leader, the Lord of my life. God, come in and give them new life today. And God, may we just look to you and acknowledge you, the ultimate authority, the ultimate one, the ultimate one who says the words.
Amen.